Hello there, this is Jason Dees, and this is the Think Through It podcast. Think Through It exists to help people think through the big questions of life and culture. On the Think Through It podcast, we'll be talking with friends, cultural influencers, and forward thinkers about the things that all of us need to be thinking about. Today, I'm actually not in the Think Through It studio, but my friend and fellow pastor at Christ Covenant, Blake Rogers, is sitting in for me and having a conversation with another friend and the Dean of Boyce College in Louisville, Kentucky, Matt Hall. Matt has a great perspective on one of the most impactful seasons of life, adolescence, as the Dean of a college. Matt sees a new class of 18-year-olds every year from all over the country and has become a student of the particular issues that our young men and young women are facing. Matt has a lot of advice to give on Christian parenting and on how we should think about maneuvering childhood, adolescence, and college while growing in our love for the Lord. It's a great conversation for all of us to listen in on, so thank you for joining us today as we think through it. Well, we're back here with uh, Dr. Hall from Boyce College. Uh, He's the dean of uh, Boyce College, which is the undergraduate school for the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Um, I had the great pleasure of being on that campus for 10 years, and so it's a great honor to have Dr. Hall here um, with us today. And uh, we're going to be talking about challenges facing uh, teens and adolescents. Um, I think he's going to be able to provide a a great perspective as a dean of a college that is aimed at uh, preparing uh, young people for real life and work and ministry. And so I'm grateful that you're here with us today, Dr. Hall. Um, thanks for being here. And I'm really privileged to be with you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll just start out like this. What are some of the challenges um, that are facing some of our adolescents, some of our teens that are growing up in this wild culture um, in this moment that we're in? Oh, yeah. I, I will say a couple things before I jump into that. Yeah. I, I think this generation, you know, it's easy to uh, beat up on what's called millennials, or now it's even the next generation. After yeah, I've, that. I've got I, a few bruises. Yeah, okay. but I got to say, like for all the beating up on them, they're one of the most exciting generations to be around. And whatever issues or challenges are there, I think we just can front load the conversation saying, what an incredible stewardship. And I'm really hopeful, actually, about the next generation that's coming in, in, in our churches and in the kingdom of Christ here in our context and what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I look at a, you know, a campus at Boyce College where I'm privileged to serve and of which you're an alumnus, and I'm just honestly sometimes even emotionally affected when I stand before our student body and think just the kingdom potential, mm-hmm. the gifting, the passion for Christ, the devotion to the Great Commission, um, and all these different callings and professions. And so whatever, I just feel like, like I have to say that mm-hmm. before we start yeah, saying something. Because there's so much good happening. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so... With that said, uh, I think we are seeing, just as in every generation, that our children, adolescents, and even college students, they're deeply affected and shaped and formed by the context in which they live. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the stuff they're dealing with is the stuff that we're all dealing with. Now, I will say youth culture, and that's maybe a more technical term. Sometimes youth culture is further upstream, and so the trends that, say, like middle-aged, um, people you know, are going to experience those trends um, are, are actually start a little further up at the headwaters of youth culture. Mm-hmm. So for example, long before my grandmother was on Facebook, 
yeah. or your grandmother was yeah. on like teenagers and college students were on Facebook. Right. You mm-hmm. know, by the time my grandmother got on it, it wasn't cool anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can kind of tell where the culture is going for good and ill uh, if you look at youth culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're being deeply shaped by that. I, I think a couple things. One, a lot of our young men and women who have grown up in churches uh, were finding out that they've been shaped not so much by orthodox, biblical, historic Christianity, by what, but, but rather by what one sociologist calls moralistic therapeutic deism. Hmm. They've been given uh, a narrative about who Jesus is um, and what it means to live a good life and what it means to be a moral person, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And it sounds really close to Christianity, but it's yeah. not. It's moralistic. That is, this is Christian Smith's uh, argument. It's it's moralistic. That is to say, this at the center of it is you do good things, mm-hmm. and if you do good things, good things will happen to you. So mm-hmm. you you know you don't have sex before you're married. Okay, so if you have a good sexual ethic and you're sh- and you're celibate, you're chaste uh, before marriage, then good things will happen. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong. We, we need right. to we need to encourage obviously right, our students yeah. to pursue a biblical sexual ethic, but it's a moralism that says if you do good things, good things will happen to you. It'll you know what you get. Uh, that that's that's the essence of Christianity. It's it's moralistic. It's therapeutic. That is to say, Jesus came to kind of give you your best life now, mm-hmm. just to make things better, so to fix you. Uh, there's not a conversation about sin and guilt before a holy God and, and our need for a redeemer. And so it's therapeutic, you know, whatever, whatever pain you've got, the big point of Christianity is that Jesus came to fix that. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a little bit more to it than that, right? In Christianity. And then secondly, it's, it's, or third, it's, it's deism. That is to say it, it's, it views God and his involvement and not just in the world, but even in my life as distant. Um, you know, I kind of, I, I, I sign up for the Jesus team and then after that, I just kind of still live my life the way I want to live it, and I pursue my agenda, yeah. as opposed to a Christian vision of, 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 of life that says, no, God's actually not just my Savior, He's my Lord, mm-hmm. and every square inch of my life belongs to Him, and I want to live for Him to His glory, and not just live to His glory, but I also recognize that He's actively involved in every breath that I take, every second that transpires. He is upholding me, He is preserving me, He is keeping me. That's a far more robust vision of who God is and how He's involved oh. in our lives, and so I think that that worldview, which I think that that name, moralistic therapeutic deism, it really captures yeah. helpfully, I think, That's what we're seeing in, in youth culture, and it accounts for when we send our uh, teenagers off to the university or college campus. We often hear stories about faith that gets shipwrecked, mm-hmm. and I have no doubt that that does happen. I, I mean, I, I've, you and I have heard stories right. of that happening. You know, but I think a lot of the time, what, what we hear as a report of faith being shipwrecked is actually, in truth, it's something it was, we sent them off to the university or secular university or college campus, but we didn't send them off with a true and genuine biblical faith. We sent them off with, with therapeutic, therapeutic, moralistic therapeutic deism. Mm-hmm. Well, that can't stand. Right. Uh, that's going to get eaten alive mm-hmm. three times before lunch <laughs> yeah. on a university right. campus. But if they go with the Holy Spirit of God living inside them, truly born again by God's grace, uh, living and walking with Christ, I got a lot more hope and confidence that they're going to make it through a university campus yeah. than they are with some mm-hmm. sort of counterfeit Christianity. So um, I think that starts for parents with young children. It goes up even into the teenage years, how we think about youth ministry, what's the main thing to emphasize in our churches and our youth ministries. 
Um, do we talk down to our teenagers and kind of you know, water down because mm -hmm. we think they're not capable of learning and growing in truth? Or do we actually challenge them and call them out? Um, and so that's one, and I'll give you one other that I just see. Um, I think the, the screen culture that we live in is changing us, it's transforming us. And that's not just teenagers, it's all of us. I mean, we're, we're all addicted to our screens and our technology, technology changes us. We change technology, mm -hmm. but technology also changes us. There's a symbiotic relationship mm -hmm. with technology. And um, I just see with young, with, in youth culture, and uh, now I think even more broadly, the things that we think are gonna bring us happiness are actually enslaving us. So I see a generation of young adults on our campus and other campuses and in a lot of high school ministries where they think they're getting happiness by how many likes they get or how many reposts or whatever or views, but uh, that's actually making them miserable because mm -hmm. they're trying to find their identity. I mean, they're, and they're, they're manipulating the photos to make themselves look better. They're trying to make sure everyone knows what party they were at or yeah, what, yeah. you know, how happy they are. And, and adults do this too, by the way. It's look and see where I went on vacation or mm -hmm. look at the, you know, the humble brag thing here mm -hmm. that I'm going to post. And there's a really excellent book. I think some parents might find it interesting. It's called The Happiness Effect uh, by Donna Friedis. Uh, she's a sociologist. And what uh, Friedis did, she went to uh, young American you know, uh, college-age students. And uh, she accounts for this incredible irony that, th that students are more addicted than ever to social media and to screens. Um, but the thing that they're addicting them to is addicted to is making them miserable. Mm. And I see that all the time. Now, of course, we realize that's, that's an ancient human problem, that the idols that we give ourselves to that promise us happiness and security and identity, those things, not only do they fail to deliver, they give us the opposite. Mm -hmm. uh, they destroy us. So I think just for churches and families and youth ministries, we're going to have to keep getting better and better at helping our students think through how do you steward that technology? Technology is good. How do you receive it as a gift from the Lord, but use it wisely and make sure you're mastering the technology, not that it's mastering you. Right. That's yeah, super helpful. Um, I want to turn it a little bit uh, personal for you and, and learn about kind of your upbringing who are some of the people well first of all did you grow up in church um, and then who were some of the most influential people as you came through your adolescent years yeah um, I was privileged my, my parents are godly uh, Christian parents my father's still in, in ministry as a pastor uh, I grew up as a pastor's kid as a, we spent six years internationally on the mission field so I just look back and I think how kind of the Lord to give me that kind of family. Um, doesn't mean there was no guarantee that I was going to be a believer just because of my family, obviously right. not. Um, but I'd say without question, my parents, uh, they were a great model of, of being the primary formative influence in my life and in my mm -hmm. childhood. Um, as I get older, I find myself a little scared sometimes. Like I'll say things to my kids and I'll go, oh my goodness, I've become <laughs> my father. Yeah. And I got to be honest with you, I'm okay with that. Like mm -hmm. if I if I basically become my father, praise God. Praise yeah. God that he is a faithful, godly man and my parents told me the gospel regularly and clearly at a young age. I trusted in Christ as a child. I, I will say I, I went through um, like a lot of uh, kids who grew up in the church. I went through not a rebellious adolescence, at least publicly, but I um, I, I I think for me and a lot of us, maybe all of us it was a question of identity. Mm -hmm. Who am I? 
and I wanted to have some sort of identity that was like, well, Matt is this. So for me, it was it was football in high school, and I was a I was not a good football player, but I worked really hard, and I thought that could be like my tribe, mm-hmm. and um, I think that really became an idol. And so for me, it was people along the way. Uh, I think of a guy named Brian Fletcher, uh, who was the Young Life area director in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and Brian was patient with me. Uh, he saw a pastor's kid, I think, who frankly probably wanted nothing to do with his church youth group uh, mm-hmm. because that wasn't my tribe I wanted I was on the football team I didn't I wasn't mm-hmm. gonna do that I wasn't gonna do the church thing I'd be there on Sunday mornings and and I was a believer I think but a very immature one and he just pursued me um, he helped disciple me uh, so uh, someone like that was crucial and then I'd say really what was a turning point was college and that's why I'm such a believer in Christian higher education I I went to an excellent Christian college, um, long story how I got there, but I ended up there and, um, for the, not for the first time, I think I probably had people like this around me. I just was blind to them. I'm sure the Mm -hmm. Lord brought them along, but I was confronted (laughs) in a maybe more dramatic way, up close way with professors who, who had answers to hard questions. They weren't scared there was no question that you could ask, and they'd say, oh, we don't talk about that here. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. you, know, you had questions about the Bible. You had questions about kind of the problem of evil. You had questions about, you know, what about the person on the island who never hear, hears the gospel? Like, is she, is she going to hell? Um, they didn't even blink. Mm-hmm. And it was that. And then it was also being exposed, I do think this was kind of for the first time, to the historic nature of the Christian faith, that there, that my generation or my parents' generation was, is not the first generation of Jesus followers, that there are two millennia mm-hmm. of uh, heroes of the faith and stories of great faithfulness and, and, and um, mission. And uh, so just to get to read, really, for the first time in my life, um, Christian writings and, and hear Christian examples from before, say, 1900. Uh, yeah. Those two realities for me were transformative. So I'm, I'm a, we can talk about this more if you want. I'm a, just a huge believer in the value of Christian higher education for young men and women. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Now, a lot of uh, people in our church, parents in our church, have young children. Uh, you have young children as well. So you've got George, Charlie, and Jane. They're how old? Uh, right now, they're 13, 10, and 8. Okay, so yeah. George is 13. I got a teenager. Wow. Yeah. That's a that's a different... That sounds different. That's, yeah, that's kind of wild. We're, we're living it all in its fullness. Yeah. So what encouragement um, do you have for parents who do have uh, kids uh, that are in the, you know, the zero to preteen kind of age range uh, in terms of their discipling of their children, uh, making it through life and, um, and, and just pursuing faithful parenting? Yeah, well, come find me when I get one across the finish line, okay. so to speak. I, I always find it funny that people write books and teach at conferences on parenting when you know, they're, they're still parenting. They're, yeah, yeah, they're in the middle of it. Right. So I'm saying this with fear and trembling. Okay. Um, but I can tell you what mistakes we've made. And I think um, we've been really blessed to be in a community where we're not parenting in isolation. And uh, so I just, I think one, a lot of young parents, and I'm, I am, I do have the privilege of being around a, long, a lot of young parents because I'm on a seminary campus. So mm-hmm. it's just, we're, it's full yeah. of them. And uh, you can kind of tell the difference. 
between the parents who think they're the only ones going through this, their you know two-year-old is the only one who is a future terrorist uh, <laughs> or a sociopath, you know, and, and and so they feel all kinds of shame. They feel like inadequate. They feel guilt. They feel embarrassed, and they're embarrassed to admit that they're embarrassed. I mean, it's just layer mm-hmm. upon layer. And so they go into isolation. They retreat, and they just try to put it on a good show, including on social media. Instead, I think the people I've, who I've seen in our experience has been by God's grace, the people who seem to thrive and flourish in all of the messiness of those young years with young children uh, are those who lean into local church community, who seek out older couples to say, like, is this normal? Like, my, my daughter did this, or this is how we're, re- how we're handling this situation. Um, is that normal? Like, what did you all mm-hmm. do? And that's just remarkably healthy. I think that's the biblical model, older men, younger men, right. older women, younger women, and that applies to family dynamics. So one is just to lean into local community. Find If you're not in a healthy local church, find a healthy local church where this is normal, where it's normal for people to say, I need help. If your local church is, is if that's foreign to them, uh, where you feel like no one ever can admit weakness or vulnerability, then that's a, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, second, I would say, is just admi- be ready uh, to admit that you're going to fail. I think we put in our churches a lot of undue guilt and burden on young parents. Like, you got to have family devotions three times a day, uh, and Dad's got to get the Greek New Testament out to mm-hmm. do it, and then Mom's got to be able to play three instruments at the same time. I mean, <laughs> and next thing you know, you're like, and then and you don't have family devotions yeah. for a week, and then you feel guilty, and so... You, so, um, I mean, I, th- I would look at books by like Don Whitney, uh, who's got good stuff on family worship, and we fail in this routinely. We are so lousy at this in our home, um, but I just see whether it's kind of formalized family worship dynamics or even just kind of the informal f- dynamics mm-hmm. of conversation, like talking yeah. about the things of the Lord with your young kids, um, whether you use a catechism or don't use a catechism. I don't think that's the big dividing line mm-hmm. here. I think it's just... Are you intentionally pursuing and trying to press into your children a biblical uh, set of categories about who they are, the God who made them, the world that he made, what's it mean to be happy, why does our family make the decisions we make, why do we not do them, and just kind of, I mean, it sounds simple, but just kind of, you know, enjoy the ride a little bit, too. I will say... um, we we are aware uh, that that we're in for a ride here in the teenage years, and um, I look at my experience, I look at my family uh, growing up, I look at other friends, and I just think any parent who thinks they can tell you like if you do this, this is the outcome, uh, mm-hmm. they're they're fooling themselves and they're lying to you. Yeah. So at the end of the day, the only hope that I have, whether my child is two or 17 or 32, I think, Mm -hmm. is that Jesus knows, Jesus cares, and actually Jesus loves and cares for my children infinitely more than I ever will. And uh, so I can put my head on the pillow at night, in spite of all my failures, in spite of how I've failed as a dad that day, in spite of the things that I haven't done that I should have done, uh, and I can just, I can go to bed and rest at night knowing that, Mm -hmm. that he cares for my children. And uh, that's uh, if you can do that, I think you're on the right track. Mm -hmm. That's great. Super helpful. Um, Obviously, one of the kind of cultural um, challenges that faces young people today uh, became, I I was reading a story um, not too long ago on on the issue of pornography 
and how young children are when they access pornography. In this particular article, I know there are a ton of studies out there, but this particular article says that it is normative now for uh, children under, under the age of 10 to have seen and have access pornography. Um, how do parents need to be thinking about the issue of pornography? And then do you know of any kind of parameters and safeguards, tools, etc., um, that can help parents accomplish their goal of guarding their children for something that is very much actively seeking to destroy hearts and minds and destroy a biblical sexual ethic? Yeah, I, I would just start by saying wake up mm-hmm. to a lot of parents. Wake up. Um, this is our, your children. Our children are not growing up in the same uh, context. They're mm-hmm. not swimming in the same waters that we did. And uh, I'm 38. I'm not that old, but I am old enough to know. Like my kids are experiencing and encountering uh, the world, and particularly the kind of the sexualization of youth culture in a way that was different than what I experienced. Mm-hmm. So, if you think that you can just hand your child a tablet or a smartphone or a laptop or any other kind of screen device that has access to online content, you can just hand it to them out of the box and they're going to be okay. You're, yeah, you're ridiculous. fooling yourself. It's like handing your child a loaded gun without a safety and saying, here, don't, don't, don't hurt yourself. Mm-hmm. But if you know, this is free, it's a tool for you to use. Well, that's not yeah. going to, you know how that's, that's going right. to end. So, um, one would be to a lot of parents, just wake up. Second would be, uh, a lot of our children don't need the devices we think that we need. Mm-hmm. And we live in a, in a consumeristic, materialistic American culture that lies to us all the time through marketing and advertising and says, you can't be happy if you don't have this, fill in the blank. In this case, let's just say technology. Mm-hmm. You, you can't have a meaningful life as an 11-year-old if you don't have an iPhone. Mm-hmm. Since when? <laughs> That's insane, yeah. but and I know we, we can talk about that here and admit it's insane, but we functionally drink that water every mm-hmm. day. And we do it, by the way, as adults too. Like, I can't live without yeah. my device. Well, Market, marketers are geniuses. They're brilliant, and that's the way that the context we live in works. And so um, so when you think, well, my child, she, she has to have this device. Mm-hmm. All her friends, well, big deal. Mm-hmm. Maybe not. And, and beyond that, we've got to get back to a culture of, like, of trust is earned. So if you know that your child is this is this is this is there, there's a pattern of bad judgment and decisions here and you keep giving them the device, yeah. that's not on them. Then that's mm-hmm. on you as a parent. You know, you, if you have no reason to trust their decision making and judgment, they're not ready for that that stewardship of that device or that technology. Then you're a fool as mm-hmm. a parent. That, that's the biblical word for it. You're a fool as mm-hmm. a parent if you enable that and, 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 and kind of accelerate your child's path to destruction. How's that for a hard word? Well, <laughs> so a couple of things I would say. So I, I want to say that as loud as I can to a lot of parents is wake up. Don't let the culture shape uh, and form your imagination and your worldview mm-hmm. as a parent. Have a, we're going to, I think Christians in the next 20 years are increasingly going to look freakish and weird. And I don't just mean that like because we believe that a, a Palestinian Jewish rabbi was crucified and he's the son of God. And mm-hmm. he was crucified for our sins, and he rose up from the dead after three days in a tomb. Like, that's pretty freakish and weird on its yeah. own. But I think even more so, the, the ways, the rhythms, and the way we live as families and as communities are going to look stranger and stranger to the world around mm-hmm. us. And technology is going to be part of that. Um, I will say that I think you probably have a lot of parents who are awake to the threat, and they're scared to death, and they're fearful, and they're anxious. 
um, I would would say a couple things, okay? And I'm really encouraged by that, but I also think there's another unhealthy extreme where you kind of veer off into this crippling anxiety and fear as a parent. I see this, frankly, a lot of times with moms and their sons Mm -hmm. um, because the statistics you just mentioned earlier are, I think, actually, whether you want to quibble over some of the percentage points or not, it's not good. Not good. And it's getting, it's happening. There's earlier access. It's more extreme access. And it's, and it's forming addictive patterns, and it's, and it's literally rewiring brains. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so it's, it is deeply alarming. Uh, what I would say is a couple things to those parents. One is you need to be the one, as a, as a mother, as a father, as an aunt, as an uncle, whatever your relationship is, if you're a guardian, you know, grandmother, whoever, I realize family structures can look different. But if you're that parent figure, you need to be the one initiating the conversation. Let me put it this way the first time your child hears about pornography should be from you, mm-hmm. not from somebody at school, not from a neighbor, um, not from a, you know, a friend. And what do I mean by that? Is I, I think that you're gonna have to have, in this culture, a, a proactive and appropriate conversation with your child earlier than you probably think about what pornography is. Now, there are resources available to equip you to have that kind of conversation in an age-appropriate way. Mm-hmm. But your goal, I think, should be, not if, but when somebody says or offers or tries to introduce pornography to your child, that they'll essentially be able to go, oh, no, I know what pornography is. My mom told me about that. Yeah. My dad told me about that. And I know that it's it's not good for me. It'll mm-hmm. hurt me. So, actually, I don't even want to see that. You can keep moving with that. Yeah. Rather than, I have no idea what you're talking about. Let me see. Let me see. Yeah. Um, so I think there are resources available for that. Um, maybe on your podcast, you guys, I don't know if you can put some links up. Uh, we can share some of those offline. Um, but there are good resources there to help you as mm-hmm. a parent to equip you if you feel like you don't know where to start in that conversation. Uh, secondly, would be um, kind of what we were talking about earlier, to, to navigate these waters in community. I think a lot of parents are debilitated in this because they think, like, we must be the only ones dealing with this in our family. Mm-hmm. Secondly, uh, you, you don't want to embarrass your children so if, if mm. this is something that they're struggling with or you, you realize they've been exposed to. So uh, I think lean in with community, have conversations with other families, learn practically, like, how are you guys dealing with this? Um, but you also want to respect your child. You want to give your child some protection to grow up. So you don't mm-hmm. need to mom and dad you don't need to advertise every failure of your child like give them some space yeah. to mature and to grow up uh in the, in the trust and the security of home mm-hmm. um another thing i would just say go back to the devices thing there were so many reasons beyond just pornography for this but i think it's really wise uh, once you do start giving devices to your children to give them uh devices in kind of a progressive fashion so they get more and more kind of we do this with with cars by the way like we we let 16 year olds get behind these massive deadly vehicles and drive at neck breaking <laughs> speeds right. down the highway mm-hmm. and but but our society recognized that we ha- kind of have to phase that in mm-hmm. so phase in some of this tech um you know maybe limit access to certain features certain apps you definitely sh- i think should have tracking systems on it uh but but you kind of you're helping make helping them make the transition to so to speak full vehicle driver status um, but beyond even that i would say not just because of the pornography issue, but just the screen addiction uh, dynamic. Uh, I really appreciate how a lot of families will have, for example, a central place, whether it's in the you know the front of the apartment or the foyer of the house or wherever, where it's like, okay, when we come home, everyone puts their device right there. Mm-hmm. 
And so we're not having kids up in the bedroom, you know, with the door shut on their phones until all hours of the night, not just because we're worried about what they're accessing, but because frankly, we want to be human beings and we want to have real conversation and we want to be able to play a board game and not all be looking at our phones Mm. and like a bunch of robots. So I think there are practical things like that. And I just lastly say, echoing, I guess what we said earlier, for the parent that feels just like this is this is an anxiety-inducing, terrifying reality. Like you think there's no way my children are going to survive this barren wasteland of a sexualized, pornified culture. Mm-hmm. If you're just overcome with fear and anxiety, I would just encourage you uh, to go back to what we said earlier, that Jesus knows and Jesus cares. And Jesus, by the power of his Spirit, can preserve, protect, and, and, and keep anyone. And so if, if, if mm-hmm. your child is, if, if you're aware of this threat, one, trust Christ. That sounds cliche, but trust that Jesus mm-hmm. is for you. He desires the, the well-being and the spiritual maturation of your children. Uh, and so you should pray for that. Pray for the protection and, and the peace of your children. I, I'm so grateful for, for how the Lord kept me and spared me from so much. Um, and then I would just say, secondly, if you have that faith in Jesus, so to speak, as a parent, when your child comes to you or when you become aware of a failure or when your son or your daughter comes to you and they confess something to you, you're not going to panic and freak out. Yeah. I think a lot of our children, if the first response they get from mom and dad is, you did what? You saw what? And there's this immediate mm-hmm. kind of freak Shame. out. It's like, okay, I'm, I can't, I'm never coming back to mom and dad. Mm-hmm. So it's that tough balance, right, um, of saying to our children on one hand, this is, this is deadly fire that you're playing with. On the other hand, I'm so glad you told me about it. I love you like crazy. There's nothing you could ever do or see that would make me love you any less. I am for you, and I want to see you thrive and flourish in Christ. I think if they can hear both the warning and the assurance of Mm -hmm. love, it's a lot more likely that we're going to be able to have open lines of communication uh, and constructive and redemptive paths. But at the end of the day, we don't do it in our own strength. We do it in the strength of the Lord. Man, that's awesome. That's super helpful. Uh, so thanks for sharing that. Um, I know you mentioned earlier that uh, you were immensely shaped by Christian higher education. I am, like you mentioned, an alumnus of Boyce College, the school that, that you are uh, leading right now, and uh, am so grateful that God in His sovereignty brought me through that. And it was His wisdom and sovereignty brought me through that. He knew I needed that um, when I was a, an eight, 18 to 22-year-old uh, kid trying to figure out life. And so I'm immensely grateful for the ministry of Boyce College of Southern Seminary. Um, I'm, a, I'm a proud alumnus, uh, in particular, the last several years, just the, the great momentum um, and things that are happening that the Lord's doing there. So thank you for uh, looking to shape the next generation of pastors and leaders uh, for our churches and, and, and workers in the workforce. I know Boyce has added um, a business administration degree um, is there anything in particular that you just want to mention to our listeners about Boyce College um, to recruit their kids one day, their adolescents? Um, I know that uh, re- recruiting is something that we always have on our radar. Um, yeah, so. yeah. Oh, I appreciate that softball, Blake, yeah. uh, as an alumnus. I will say this, Boyce College isn't for everyone. Mm-hmm. How's that for a That's pitch? a great recruiting line. <laughs> um, it's not for everyone. But I will, I will say we're not the only ones doing this well, mm-hmm. but by God's grace, we have a lot, uh, a good number of faithful, gospel-centered, Bible-believing Christian universities and colleges out there that are partners in this, in this mm-hmm. vision. 
So I'm really glad that we're not the only ones doing this. And, and when I say Boys College isn't for everyone, what I, what I mean by that is uh, we're, we're very committed to a philosophy of education that is comprehensively Christian, uh, every member of our faculty is going to teach in accordance with the scriptures and with our statement of faith. Um, and that's not just theology and missions, it's business, it's mm-hmm. philosophy, it's politics, it's education, every member of the faculty. And uh, that, that I think is very exhilarating for a lot of students. And mm-hmm. that's, I think, what a lot of families are looking for. But some people are surprised by that. And they kind of thought, I yeah. thought the, the Jesus stuff and the Bible stuff was just in the Christian studies department. So if, if that's what you want, then you're going to have a hard time at a college like Boyce. And uh, I just would say, I think beyond even just Boyce, although I hope people will check out boycecollege.com, I think the opportunity right now uh, for Christian higher education is so massive. We're living right now in a context in American higher education where it's harder and harder to to explain to people the value proposition of their university Mm -hmm. or college choice. And in a day and age, you go back to marketing, that says, well, your college decision is about where you're going to get the best uh, student seating in a football game, or you're going to have the best Greek life, uh, or frankly, you're just going to have the most likelihood to land a really well-paying job. As important as that is, and we all want our kids to be gainfully employed after mm-hmm. graduation. Right. Um, but like the boxes that we're looking to check in the college decision far too often aren't driven by a vision of the kingdom of Christ and what it means to flourish in him and then to be sent out on mission. Mm. They're shaped by American culture mm-hmm. and by marketing and advertising. Uh, I think when you're 50 years old and you're, your kids leave the home and you're at that state, like who's going to care what the student seating was like at your football game? Who's going to mm-hmm. care what the dorms were like? Your, your college years and the years that your, your children are going to experience on a college campus are formative in shaping who they become as adults, the values and the things that they live for, the friendships that they're going to carry with them throughout the rest of their life, often the person they're going to marry. So I'll tell you right now, one of the easiest pitches I have or any Christian college uh, administrator has is to tell parents, like, do you want to ha- you want to have a better chance of your son or daughter bringing home mm-hmm. a godly spouse? That's not the only reason, but that's that one my reason. Story. Yeah, it's yeah. your story. So uh, I, I'm just, I, I would appeal to parents, whether it's a school like Boyce College or not, don't let the culture and the world shape the paradigm or the criteria by which you choose a college or university for your son and daughter. Let the values and the virtues and the goals and the dreams of the kingdom of Christ uh, shape the way you make that decision. We need young men and women out in the marketplace. We need them in public life and politics. We need them in law. We need them in business. And we need them in full-time vocational ministry. Um, my argument would be, and I think a lot of others would be, uh, you can pursue all of those vocations, all of those callings, and in the, in, in the best sense of the term, often through a Christian college or university. Mm-hmm. That's super helpful once again. Dr. Hall, thanks again uh, for uh, being a part of this podcast for our people. Um, I've learned a lot in sitting here uh, talking with you through these issues, so I'm just grateful for you and your ministry. For Dr. Matt Hall, this is Blake Rogers encouraging you to think through it.